my beautiful family. All right, how you doing, you rock and roll in third service? Good to see you guys. We're starting a, uh, a new series today, just a two-week series today, um, called What's Your Story? And so this Sunday and next Sunday, you are going to get to hear some powerful stories about what God has done in people's lives. So you'll want to make sure to be here. It's really awesome. And the, the journey one day that Pastor Rod was talking about was so cool. You guys added over 30 new members to the church, and like he said, all those baptisms. So just an awesome, awesome day. And so we're, we're, the, the, the idea is this, family. I can stand up here on stage and I can teach you from the Word of God and I can share with you experiences from my personal life. But the cool thing about this series is you'll get to hear like non-pastoral people talking about how good God has been to them and what God has done in their lives. And so uh, my, my challenge today, my, my, my hope today is that your faith will be stirred, that you will understand how much God loves you and what God has planned and in store for your life. I've came out the last two services and I'm gonna start this service the same way. I need to apologize to you. As I look back over these five and a half years that I've been the pastor, I, I look back and look at some of the series and some of the messages. I don't think I've had enough messages for you that challenge you to believe God for the miraculous. And so that's all changing today. I want you guys to know that I believe God can do the impossible. He is the God of the impossible. And so anything that you might be facing, anything that you might look at and say, I don't know how in the world this is going to happen. I came to tell you this morning, God's God and amen family. He is the God of the miraculous. That wasn't just for the Bible days. That wasn't just for way back then or for good people. The Bible is really, really clear that God can do anything but fail. And so part of my responsibility is to encourage you in that way. And so today, my family, I want to teach you this morning. I want to call your attention to something and talking about the miraculous family. It is possible for us to miss our miracle. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning. I titled my message, Don't Miss Your Miracle. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. All right, tell them, don't miss your miracle. Don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. So I gotta so tell great you to guys, see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. Four, four years ago, I got this letter in the mail from a man named Keith Weaver. It was around, I think it was around Christmas time and he wrote me this beautiful letter telling me of the incredible miracle that God had done in his life. And so the story I wanna share with you today gets me, you guys. It gets me. Because I know how addiction can ruin a life. The national rate of recovery for addiction is horrible. It's almost 87, almost 90% of people who, who get off drugs or get started in a different direction, most of them end up falling back into it time and time and time and time again. How many of you know people who are struggling with addiction, if you're watching or if you're here today and you're struggling with an addiction, how many of you know you need a miracle in your life? We serve a miracle working God. I've got proof. Watch this video, family. 
My name is Keith Weaver. Uh, I live in Mattoon, but I come to church here at GT. I've been coming since uh, December 28th of 2014. When I was a youngster, I was my fam my family took me to church. They were they were believers in God and Jesus. And, but I, uh, I I was six years old and I went up front to receive, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I always knew this. And as soon as I got a little old, older, I stopped going to church. I think the reason I stopped going to church was because just the outside influences of the world, I thought this is cool to do all this partying and just being rebellious against what I've been taught, I guess I thought nobody knows better than me and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. The things, things really started to get bad for me when I started using crack cocaine. And I started this probably around age uh, 25 or six, 26, I was using it regularly. And it just kept progressing and my life got more out of control. Just to give you the depths of my addiction, I know for a fact I've spent over $200,000 on this drug. I lost three excellent jobs with my addiction with this drug. I could not keep a job more than about five, six years. I would always lose them. I spent all the money in my retirement accounts. These, th I treated my family horrible. I stole from the very people that love me, including my family. I stole from anyone that, that I had the opportunity to, to. I lied to everyone. The only thing that mattered to me was getting that cocaine, and when my money ran out, I knew I was gonna get some more money somehow, whatever it took, and continuing that addiction. That, that addiction, when I would not be high, I would feel so terrible. I'm hurting the very people that love me, but I just, I could not stop. I tried to stop, I would always go back. And, the, and then the guilt and the shame I felt, it just trapped, it just kept me caught up and trapped. And, I, and I, my family might say, Jesus loves you. And I think to myself, I know he loves you. Well, I, I, how would he love me? I never acknowledge him, I never do anything right. Everything I do is bad and it's all centered around this cocaine. And this depression that came over me, I would sit at home and I would just, I would cry and it just got worse. And the only way I'd feel better is to go use the drug again. And the cycle continued and the destruction continued and I kept hurting everyone that was around me. I went to prison three times because of this addiction. None of that changed me one bit. I had got so much guilt and shame. At Christmas time, I'd be around my family. I could not open a gift in front of them. I felt too guilty. Why would these people buy me a gift when I've caused them so much pain? And, and then of Christmas 2014, I, I told my sister, I asked her, what time does your church start? I've got to see a preacher. I, I just got to talk to somebody. I can't take this anymore. And I came here to GT with him that day. 
And I said that prayer. I confessed my sins to Jesus. And I asked him, save me from my sins. And I didn't understand that much about it. But I just, I, he, I came to the end of myself. He was the only hope that there was for me. I cried out to him. I, I asked him to save me from my sins. And my life started to change from that point on. Jesus Christ is the only one who can change your heart. He loved me when I was at my worst. I just couldn't see it. When I cried out to him, he was right there. He came, he rescued me, he saved me from my sins. He changed my heart. And that enables the other things to take place. One day I know I told Angela, did you notice I'm, I don't even curse anymore? It, you know, things like that. And caught the peace, caring about other people, not using people. This is a life that I was convinced I could never have. But Satan kept me trapped in that guilt and my shame. I thought I would have to clean myself up before I could ever go to church, and I couldn't clean myself up. And I didn't understand grace at that time. The grace that Jesus gives you, he paid the price for our sins. And so to anybody that hears me, I would say, if you feel like I felt, if you're bound by an addiction or by something else, or if you just feel all this hopelessness and shame, if you just call out to him and give your life to him, he'll come and he'll rescue you. He'll save you. And the same Jesus that did it for me, it's the same Jesus that walked on the water. It's the same Jesus who raised the dead. And it's the same Jesus who put the sins of the world on him. And he went to the cross. And he died for our sins. He took our place and he rose from the grave and he lives today. He's who he says he is. He's the son of the living God seated at his right hand with all power and authority. This same Jesus that saved me, that rescued me, He's right there if you just call out to him. He'll do the same for you. Oh yeah, baby! Yeah! Yeah. God is a good God. I want you to go on a walk with me today, family. Did you wear your walking shoes? <laughs> I want you to go on a seven mile walk with me this morning. Seven miles, walking and talking. And I want to set the scene for you today on this seven-mile walk. Would you shout, set the scene, Pastor Matt? Set the scene, Pastor Matt. The day is Resurrection Sunday. Two of Jesus' disciples are taking the seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. You have to understand that after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his disciples were out of their mind with fear and anxiety and depression and worry and heartbreak. And they'd left their family, they'd left their lives to follow Jesus. You have to understand that they would have been there when he was betrayed and, and they would have been there when he was arrested and, and saw the crown of thorns being rammed down on top of his head. 
They would have stood by and watched in horror as one of those Roman soldiers took that spear and pierced his side. They would have stood by and watched all their hopes and dreams die when they crucified him on a cross. Took him down and threw his body in a borrowed tomb and put a two-ton stone in front of it. The story was over. Many of Jesus' disciples were dispersed throughout the land, but there was a group of them that went to an upper room to hide out. They were absolutely terrified waiting in this upper room, wondering if, if the authorities would rush in and arrest them too. Two of Jesus' disciples now are heading back to Emmaus, and they're having a discussion about how absolutely horrible everything is. They've witnessed the events. They saw their rabbi tortured, suffering, and ultimately dying, and they are on a walk. And they are very, very overcome with grief and sadness. Something happened. I want you to jump in your notes. While they were talking and discussing together, guess who shows up? Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I want you to focus on this next verse here, family. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They're on this walk. And they're talking, woe is me, and this is horrible, and what are we going to do now? And the miracle maker starts walking beside them. But they don't recognize him. Go on, please. And he said to them, <laughs> can't you see Jesus? Hey, what's up, guys? What's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you're walking? What is it? What are you guys talking about? And it says that they, they stood still. They stopped, looking very, very sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, and we'll call him Cleo, okay, you guys? Cleo answered him, and he's like, dude, are you the only one? Are you the only person here in Jerusalem that has not heard what's going on? Are you so clueless? Are you so out of touch with the events of these last few days? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And then Jesus, and if you ever wondered if Jesus has a sense of humor, he shows us in two words. Are you the only one that doesn't know the things that have gone on? And Jesus says to them, what things? <laughs> and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So I want you to see it in your eyes, family, in your, the eye of your mind. These two disciples 
walking and talking about how horrible life is now. That everything, all, all hope is lost. There's nothing good. There's no, here we are looking simple, putting our faith in this guy, and now he's dead. And here, and Jesus shows up. And Luke, Luke records that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Even though Jesus taught that his sheep know his voice. And you guys, come on. When you get a cell phone from your wife or your mom or, or your bro or your girl, the, like, don't you immediately know their voice? Jesus taught that his sheep, the people who follow him, know his voice. But they didn't recognize his voice and they didn't even recognize him by looking at him. It says, because their eyes were kept from wrecking. Kept, kept by what? This word kept there means their eyes were constrained. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And I don't want you to get it twisted. It's not in some divine way like God prevented them from seeing. What do you imagine would have kept their eyes from recognizing Jesus? Grief. Disappointment, profound sadness. How many times in our lives, you guys, do we get so focused on our suffering? We get so focused on what we don't have and what we've been through. We get so focused on all the disappointments and how everybody else seems to be happy. We get so focused on what we don't have that those things crowd out the voice of God. How many of you know, can I get a witness? How many of you know that fear has a voice? And do you know it's possible for us to be listening to fear and anxiety and worry that those voices crowd out the voice of our Savior? So they're walking along. And they're like, are are you so out of touch? Do you not know what happened in Jerusalem? All they focused on, family, all their eyes saw was Jesus' agony. All they focused on was his death on the cross. They were so focused on everything that they thought they'd lost that the miracle himself is right there, and they can't even recognize him. How often is that true of us? Where we're so caught up in the pain of the process. We get caught up in the pain of the process of life that those voices crowd out the promises of God. We're so focused on our suffering. Pastor Matt, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what it's like, Pastor Matt, to stand in faith, believing something for your children, only to see something else turn out in their lives. You don't know what that's like. You don't know what it's like, Pastor Matt, to hear that layoffs are coming. And you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, but you're scared to death. Situations come up in our lives, family. And we get so focused on the suffering. We listen so much to the voice of fear and lack. 
that it crowds out the voice of the miracle worker in our lives. They're like, dude, you don't understand. You don't know. We saw it with our own eyes. And when he died, everything good in our lives died. They're telling this to the giver of life, to the creator of everything that we see. You don't understand how terrible things are. And then they went on to say a phrase, family, that I know I've said in my life, and I bet if we were to survey everybody, we've all said this a few times in our life, right, Patty? Haven't we said this, Patty? But we had hoped. We had hoped. I thought for sure by now that the rumors would have stopped. I thought for sure by now that this pain that is racking my body. I thought for sure by now that the doctors would have been, been able to come up with some remedy that I wouldn't still be suffering in my body. I had hoped by now that my broken heart would somehow be healed. But we had hoped past tense. Seeing him on that cross was the day for them that hope died. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he'd be the one to rescue us from this Roman tyranny, the great Roman empire, that somehow this Messiah, that he would be the one to make us conquering Israelites, that they would cower when they heard the term Israel. That's the kind of Messiah we wanted. And we do the same thing, don't we, family? Don't we get it twisted like this? Don't we think, if God would somehow consult me, that I know what's best for me in my life. God, if you would just do it my way, if things would just all land the way I think they should land, then I'm good. If the king of kings would just ask me my opinion, I could tell him how things should be. thought by now at this point in my life I would dot, dot, dot. I thought by now, I had hoped by now, the direction my kids were going would, would change. I had hoped by now that I would have some shred of happiness in my marriage. I had hoped by now that we would be on much solid a found, a, a, financial foundation than we are. If God would just do it the way I want him to do it, <laughs> we'd hope that he would rescue us from the great Roman Empire. 
Yes, and, and besides all this, like you need to know, it's, it's now uh, the third day since these things had happened. And I told you a long time ago that in Jewish mysticism, they thought that after a person died, that the spirit would linger around a couple days and that possibly the person could be resuscitated because the, sp- the spirit would. But he's like, no, it's been three days. So there's, no, there's not even that hope. There's not even that hope that, you know, I know that's wrong thinking, and that, but, but there's not even, we don't even have that hope. It's been three days since these things had happened. And then they go on to say, oh, Cleo, you guys, I see old Cleo breaking it down for Jesus. He's like, and if you think that's not bad enough, Jesus, these big mouth women, and some women, and women weren't very highly regarded in the Jewish community, the Jewish culture at that time. Some big mouth women of our country amazed us. They got our hopes up again. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back to us saying, you guys, you guys, wait, he's not there, he's not there. And they said they even saw a vision of some angels who had said that he was alive. Psh, women. Some of those who were with us, and another recording of this story says that Peter and John went running to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but guess what? But him they did not see. And so you see that they're telling, they're recounting this story and they're saying there were glimpses of hope at time. There were times where it was like, well, maybe, possibly, that there could, but no. There's no hope. All hope is lost. And Jesus, I don't think Jesus looked at them and said, you stupid idiots. You know what I mean? I don't think Jesus was like, you morons. You know what I mean? Jesus said, oh, foolish ones. I think he was like, Mia, can't you see Jesus being like, poor babies, poor babies. Just, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He went on, family, and said, remember what I taught you. Wasn't, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Jesus launches in to some teaching, you guys. I wish I had like, like a recording of this or something. And beginning with Moses, Jesus took it old school, you guys. He went all the way back to Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things that were all about him that were concerning him. And so I can see Jesus, Michelle, walking with old Cleo and the other disciple saying, you remember when Moses wrote back in the book of Genesis that, that a virgin should, should have a, a child and that this child would stomp on the head. He would bruise the head of the serpent. He would bruise the head of the enemy. I can see him skipping over to some of the Psalms that were talking all about him. I can see him going to the story of Abraham and Isaac and saying, remember when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son. I could see him talking about in the book of Isaiah and saying, well, for unto us, a child is born this day and how the Messiah, his bones would be crushed and bruised and broken. I can see Jesus saying, remember all that stuff that you get taught when you're going to church, all the old scriptures that they've read telling you about the Messiah. Guess what, Cleo? That's me. I'm here. I I told you numerous number of times 
what had to happen to me. When you go to synagogue, when you go to church, and they read through, talking about what the Messiah, all these things shouldn't have been new to you. And so what Jesus is telling them, and what we need to pick up on this is this family, that our whole life we can come to church, and we can even jump into that Bible and read the Bible, and we can hear teaching and preaching, and still, when it all hits the fan, we can lose our minds. We can listen to the voices of fear and doubt. I don't even know what to believe. It's possible for us to know the truth. When you're in the middle of that suffering, for the pain of the process to snuff out the voice of our miracle maker. He's saying, you heard all these things about what would happen to me. And I even told you myself, you guys, they're gonna, they're gonna arrest me, they're gonna... Cru-. And now that it's happened, you don't remember what you were taught. That can be true of us, right, family? If the right temptations come along, we forget what we were taught. If the right negative voices, if we listen to that voice of fear and panic and worry, we can find ourselves in the same place as these disciples. What are we going to do now? So as they get closer to their home, Jesus messes with them again, you guys. And it's just so funny. I love seeing this. Like Jesus messes with them again. And so so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And look at this. Jesus acted as if he were going to keep going. Like, can't you see Jesus messing with them? Okay, you guys, peace. All right, take care, take care. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus, no, no, no. (laughs) They urged him strongly saying, please, Please stay with us. Stay with us. And Jesus, because Jesus can never resist a broken heart or a broken life. Jesus agrees. Stay with us for starting to get dark. It's getting towards evening and the day is now spent. And so he went in and he he stayed with them. And here it is, family. When he was at table with them, He took the bread, the guest. So typically when you invite someone into your home, and especially in the Jewish culture back then, you you know, you serve them, you do. So they're saying, no, don't leave, please, please be our guest, be our guest. And Jesus is like, sure, okay, chill out, I'll stay, I'll stay. So he sits down and he takes the bread. Now I want you to look at this action. I don't know if you can get a close, close up shot of this or not, Cal. When you're sitting at a table, and there's a loaf of bread in front of you, and you're breaking it, what do you see? What's exposed? Jesus sits down, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
see? Do you see the scar? It's him! It's him! Oh my God! They were, they were right. It's, it's him. But what happened next, family? And he vanished from their sight. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Like, I get that he's got a sense of humor and we see him kind of messing with them. What things? You know what I mean? But, but they just got it, Billy. Like, they just, they saw this go. And it's like, oh my goodness. Oh, oh, he's here. And then gone. Lesson. Could that teach them? What lesson can we get from Jesus just disappearing when they, when they recognized him? They finally got it. They finally, their eyes were finally open. What lesson could there be in him leaving them now? The lesson for them, family, is a lesson for us. What Jesus did was he took some time to remind them of the promises that are found in the word of God. He took some time to teach them before he disappeared. And the lesson for them and the lesson for us is this. I used to say, if I were alive back then, I wouldn't have let them crucify Jesus. If I'd have been one of the ones that were like, no, you leave him alone, don't crucify. And I've also said, and you guys don't leave me hanging out here looking crazy, all right? Haven't you ever said this or have you at least thought this when you're going through a really difficult time? I just wish I could see Jesus, right? If I could just look in his face, then I believe, and then I'd know everything was okay. I just, I just wish, like, when, when, when you're, you're facing financial ruin and when, when you see your relationship collapse and, and when you see your kids get in trouble and when you... When you when stuff hits the fan, you guys, I, if I could just see him in that moment, then I would believe, then I would know, then I would have faith, if I could just see him. Yesterday I was here. And what was right here was a coffin holding a 12-year-old boy that had been shot and killed. What do I say to that family? You say, what do they need to hear? Those moments. Well, you just need to see Jesus. That's a, so come on, I'm gonna take you somewhere where you can see Jesus and then everything. Jesus knew that 40 days from eating that meal with them, in 40 days, he was gonna disappear. He was gonna be gone. He was going to go back to heaven and they wouldn't be able to physically see him anymore. 
And so what he, what he was teaching them is the same thing that he's teaching us. In Quinette, it's a walk of faith. And you and I are just crazy enough to believe that even if we don't see it, and even if when we start praying, it looks like the situation got worse when we started praying, that we're believers. And even if we don't see it, we believe that God is not a man that he should lie and that he will be faithful and true to every promise that he has made us. We rely on his word. We're not the kind of people that I'll believe it when I see it. We're the kind of people that even when we get that phone call, that takes our breath away. We believe he's a miracle worker. We believe that he's right in here, right in it with us right now, and I can't see him, and I can't always feel him, and I can't always hear him, but I believe, Jesus, that you are here, that you are now, that you are providing strength, you are providing hope, even in the most hopeless situation, you're a miracle-working God. And so what is it for you my beautiful family. That you're just, I'm done. That you're about ready to walk away from. That you need a miracle in. And you know it. And you don't need me to stand up here and tell you what it is. You know that if God doesn't show up in this situation, what is it for you? That you're standing in faith, believing God for. Maybe you're here or you're watching. And you and your husband have been crying out to God for a baby. And you don't see any change. Maybe you're here or you're watching. And your son or your daughter has broken your heart. I don't see it getting any better, Pastor Matt. I don't see it getting any better. Maybe you're here or you're watching. And you are slowly watching your mom or your dad wither away. Maybe that addiction has creeped back in and you're like, I thought I was over it. I had hoped by now that I could resist the urge. Maybe your heart It's like the heart of that family yesterday. Your heart is grieving for someone that you've lost. And you'd hoped, hey, it's been a few months. Hey, it's been a few years. You'd hoped by now. But you don't. You don't see any change. What do we do? We remind ourselves of what the Word of God says. And the word of God says that you are the head and not the tail. The word of God says that he specializes in broken people. We see it all throughout his word. 
that he specializes in situations that everybody else would wash their hands of and say, we might as well just give up. We see it time and time again, family. Our miracle working God showing up and making all the difference. And so I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor, I'm done. I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor if you would, would you stand on your feet? What is it that you're believing God for? that you need God to show up in, that you're like, God, God, I want you to turn this situation around in my body. God, I need healing. God, my marriage needs restoration. God, I'm worried sick about my kids and I don't see it getting any better. God, my heart is broken. She left God. He left God. And I don't know what I'm gonna do your miracle with all the compassion that you can muster up in your heart and I know several of us are doing it through tears I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say to them don't miss your miracle they need to hear it from you turn to them and tell them they need to hear you say it don't miss your miracle God is working God is working God is working he is working all things together for your good. God is working. I've asked Pastor Rod if he would step out here. And I asked him if he would pray a prayer of faith for you guys. For the one who thinks yeah, but you don't know my story. Yeah, but you don't know where I've been, Pastor. And you don't know what I've done. For the one who thinks, yeah, but maybe not me. The word of the Lord for you. plan and a purpose for everything that you've been through. I know your name and I see your heart and if you'll just trust me, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just trust me, wash it all away. If you'll just trust Stop looking back. Stop looking back. Trust me. Ask Pastor Rod if he would pray a prayer that would stir up our faith. So whatever it is, you receive it first in the spirit. You reach out like you've already got it in the spirit first. Like you've, it's already yours. Pray for us, Pastor. The word of God says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So thank God for the word this morning. Amen.
Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth that is life into our faith. It is the fuel, it is the, it's food for our faith this morning. And we need you, Lord Jesus. We need a miracle. Lord Jesus, we need your intervention in all these needs represented here. We need you where we cannot do anything else anymore. There's nothing more for us to do on our own strength, and we need a miracle. We need your supernatural intervention, Father, in our lives. But Father, I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened, that the eyes of faith will be open and clear, that the light of the word will shine in there for spirit of wisdom, spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, that will be able to see you working even if behind the scenes and will believe, that will have the courage to stand in faith, that will have the boldness to believe you at your word and stand and not let go of that promise and of that miracle that you're working right now. Help us, Lord Jesus, to stand. Today we will not put our trust in our faith. We will put our trust in you. And I thank you that you are that strength that keep us, that keep us standing. I'll tell you what, Thanksgiving is this week. And there's no better response to when you're believing God and you see his work and you see his, his grace over your life than to thank him ahead of time for what he's doing. So how about we do that right now? Can you lift up your hands or can you just start thanking God for the miracle you're believing God for? Father God, we thank you so much. We don't see it yet, but we believe it. And we thank you because we, in, in faith, we, we know that you're doing that work even right now. So we thank you ahead of time for that restoration. We thank you ahead of time for that healing. We thank you ahead of time for that provision. We thank you ahead of time for that life restored, Father, and that uh, life clean, cleansed from addictions and, and things like that. We thank you because you're good we keep our eyes on you we'll keep our eyes on your goodness on your faithfulness and we'll stand by your spirit by your strength not by might not by power but by the spirit of God and we thank you this morning in Jesus name in Jesus name did you receive it is that something you can say yes it's mine it is mine Amen, amen. All right, guys. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Love you. I'll see you next week, all right? God bless.